of Hockey in Canada. I'm your host Tom, and with me this week are Dan and Steve, and that's it. It's a it's a shorthanded team. Yeah, we're definitely on the penalty kill. <laughs> Five on three. Uh, <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. We actually do have five man team. I never thought about that, but we actually could field. We need a goalie. We need a uh, do we? We'd be that good. Oh, just tell Jake to sit in the net. It'll be fine. Yeah, okay. Just type of weird. About that. We just like straps. Little, little doggo goalie. Just strap Dale into the net or something. We could do that. Yeah. We could do that. Okay. Anyways, we should move yeah, on. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's just jump right in. Um, f- as far as this week in hobby, um, Dan, why don't you go first? There's a good reason why I shouldn't go first. Okay, I'll go first. Because I won't have anything to say. Uh, I've been building Battletech models. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I actually yeah. did build and magnetize a fuckload of Battletech models for literally no reason. Probably because I had <laughs> other things to do. So. Yeah, <laughs> I could do my taxes or magnetize battle tech. Pretty much, you got a torso twist. It's important. Did you actually cut them off with the torso? Uh, really most of the multi most of the multi part models that I have, really, um, like you can just put the magnet in without cutting. Interesting. A few of them, the waist and the torso, are one piece, <laughs> and I haven't decided if I'm gonna like jeweler saw them or what. But it could get <laughs> messy. But they will torso twist. I don't know. There's a few where the way the details are and stuff, I might not be able to get in there. Okay, gotcha. Mm. And it'll be super tragic. Whereas I, I'm not taking my battle tech that seriously. I don't. Okay. I don't, I don't really? want to magnetize them or like fuck around. I'm just getting a cool pose and calling it there. I feel like you should go serious with them. If you're gonna do battle tech, go deep end. Um. Well, I'm gonna go deep end on the painting. That's hilarious. I think you should do it Do it all. Like LEDs, make it crazy, scenic bases. You know, maybe I'll do that for, because right now I'm just working on the FRR, but I might actually, and do them to like a decent, like tabletop for me standard. Um, but I might do Clan Owlbear a little more hardcore. <laughs> and if I do a Zeus, if I do a Zeus X, which is like the experimental technology, Glenn, Glenn Albert. I, still I, can't get over that. I could possibly look at doing some LEDs or something on that model because that miniature, like the actual version of it, actually has some like external power cables and stuff. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. heavy PPC, so it's like external cables, you say, actually fitting the fluff. Yeah, you could definitely do a, like a thin wire. Or you mean like replace the cable and well, like just have the cable? This, be that would a be a, like there is none of the model guys that I that I know have done a Zeus X. It would be a heavily converted and sculpted over the Zeus that I already have from them. Oh, okay. So it would be extremely so converted and sculpted anyway, but, like, if I'm allowed to do external power cables, then, um, yeah, doing LEDs or fiber optics is a million times easier. Yeah. That's a good point. Wow. Could be a thing. I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I have to <laughs> I'm excited and <laughs> appalled. The reason I don't want to convert that model is because I would have to sculpt an uh, LRM-15 into an MRM-30 launcher, which would be a massive pain in the dick. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> obviously. That, that, that's what my nightmares are made out of. Exactly. LRMs to MRMs? Well, it's taking, like, it's kind of like a like a bullet-shaped launcher, so it's kind of like conical, has, like, the, the flat end sort of a thing, but it's studded with, like, a ring of 15 missile tubes around the outside, 
So it would okay. be it would be turning that fifteen because there's a little bit of room in between all of them. It would be turning it into thirty. Oh, so at that scale, that would actually really suck because you have to fill be, each one and then redrill. I guess, hey. Yeah, it would probably be a case of like you say, like sculpting to like match the shape of the two and then drilling them all out afterwards and hope you don't fuck it up because there's like you can't redrill it. Well, you can always refill it with. I guess uh, with that tiny amount, open? I think feel like if you tried to refill it and then drill it again, it would just like force off those materials. They wouldn't bond or yeah, fuse properly. It's probably true. Like the so the drill bit starts to bite, it would just destroy that. Oh so, my god! Yeah, you have to do like a super high speed drill with like very little pressure, like almost an abrasive drill. Yeah, that would be impossible. This sounds like way more trouble than it's worth, but I'll probably do it anyway. Good. That sounds like a damn thing to do. I'm really proud of you, Dan. Like you're. <laughs> You're committing, and I, I, I think you get a lot of flack on this podcast for just how, how deep you've gone into Battletech, but like, there's a certain level of serious that you're taking this that amazes even me. <laughs> like, yeah, you've committed I agree. I agree. so hard to this. Like and the, it's so completely and utterly unnecessary, and that's my favorite part. In 20 years from now... Like, once you have all your terrain done, because you, you were working in that building, like, the typical Danism. It's the still sitting in the, the corner of my painting desk. Did you get all the windows done? No. Never. Oh, man. I, I sit there, and I, like, look at it once in a while. I'm like, I should, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guess I yeah. will go. Um, Tom, sorry, Tom, did you get all your stuff? You Battletech? Like you uh, Battletech? I think Battletech was the main thing, um, I guess, two weeks ago. Yeah, I think mostly just Battletech. Uh, you did pluck, get the drop, the foam. backgrounds. Yeah, uh, I think, did we talk about that? No, I guess we wouldn't have talked about that last week. I got the, the backdrops and yep. was having fun taking photos and got to try and figure out a better way to do the lighting. So and, it's not overpowering? And Justin was uh, recommending a nylon cloth that I could potentially sew magnets into and then just, like, clip that onto my very large metal um, frame. Frame. Yeah, that could be so. interesting. So you know who else bought those? Exact same backgrounds? Who? Ward. They were at the at the Las Vegas Open. Yeah, because it's the same company that does their mats. Yeah, sweet. It's Table War. So on that segue, I did a ton of hobbying. Actually, I completely finished up uh, my army for Las Vegas Open and went to Las Vegas Open. So I don't even really know what I did in the last week. Um, it was mostly embellishments on my Imperial Fists and Mechanicum and Knight. Yep, which look great, by the way. It turned out, it was, I think, the first time I've gone to the Las Vegas Open where everything was done completely. It was just display board, finished, models finished. Like, nothing I felt like I needed to go back and, like, touch up later. Yeah. It was just a done army, which yeah. was an awesome feeling. Those final stages of details really made a big difference. So, yeah. Like, I'm super happy. The little bit of weather you guys were talking about around, like, the symbols and changing some of the missile tube colors that we were t- talking about from the white to the purple... Um, lots of little things. Just to unify the color scheme a little more. And one of the funnest things that I did this entire week was actually working on um, the decals. So the decals on the night kit are just a flat white uh, skull with cog. Um, I went through and repainted all the decals so that they had... Shading and highlighting. And shading stuff. and highlighting, like an actual image. So, uh, And it was actually surprisingly easy. I want to talk about that in another <laughs> podcast, about how to embellish your decals um, because it's not hard and holy shit it looks good well and I think it's one of those things that we have a skill inherently from miniature painting where you can look at something that's already there and shade it and shade it and paint it well yeah but one of the problems that I always have is drawing drawing it, it yeah I agree and getting it there whereas I agree. the stencil's already all the hard shit's done 
in, in my mind, at least. Some yeah. people are great at that stuff, but I am like hopeless at actually drawing anything. Yeah, that level of geometric, like perfect crisp lines and circles and stuff like that. That type of freehand, I can never do. Yeah. Yeah, but I know what yeah, you mean. Just adding the the shading and highlighting and stuff is a little bit more manageable, and it looks really good. So then I, I did the whole LVO thing. There was a lot of hobbying there. I played a lot of games. We'll talk about it later. But last night, and right when I got home from Vegas, I was so stoked on a new game that I've actually almost painted up an entire uh, new miniature for a new game called Dark Age. Which is the third of an army. Which is, yeah, there's my army. Well, my army's going to be a little bit bigger. I'm going to have a spider, which is only a 25-point model, so I will have uh, a whole five models. Dang. <laughs> okay, yeah. it's going to be pretty crazy. That's a horde army. Uh, yeah, I think, like, the largest army you can make is just all spiders, and it's, like, ten models or something ridiculous. Uh, but it's super fun. I also almost got the, the resin base done for that uh, model as well. Sweet. That's great. So I've done a lot of hobbying. It's been pretty sweet. I guess I did play in a Malifaux event. Oh, yeah. On the weekend, um, which is, like, an Enforcer Brawl henchman hardcore. And I, in true fashion for things like Enforcer Brawls, where it's, it's basically like an old Mega Battle, you take one model... And you score if you, the first time you do damage to an enemy model, you mm-hmm. get one point, or two if they're more expensive than you. You And when you kill them, you get three points, or four if they're more expensive than you. And every time you die, you lose three points. And you come on every turn. So it's basically a first-person shooter deathmatch. Yeah. Neat. But with models, and so you take one enforcer with one upgrade. That's it. And I thought to myself, well, I just painted up these Iron Skeeters. They're technically enforcers, even though they're only enforcers so they can get upgrades. Realistically, they're like a shitty minion model. And you decided to bring one of those. I brought one of those with the upgrade to drop pianos on people's heads and proceeded Wait, in the what? Fir- Just a second, rewind this. Like, actually, that's his thing in the game? Like, yeah. Like an ordnance strike in 40k, which would make sense. This is pianos from where? Uh, because it's one of the Sky Pirates. They have an airship that's uh, apparently like <laughs> circling over the, over the board. And so, they have a supply of pianos. Yeah. Okay. Then they drop on people. <laughs> and so I took this like six soul stone model with the one soul stone upgrade and proceeded to spend like the first two or three turns being in first. <laughs> For just like he was parked on top of a building and just be like, and you get a piano, and you get a piano, and you get a piano, and just racking up points, finishing off models with pianos. Because again, being the cheapest model on the board, every time I did anything, I got bonus points. And then they got up on the top of the building and started playing whack-a-mole with the really shitty model that dies when you sneeze at it. And then my points just started going way lower. I I don't really understand. I, like, I, what I really appreciate is how you just glazed over. You're like, I just took the upgrade to I could drop pianos and just kept going. Like, everybody else was going to be okay with that. Well, I just wasn't going to let that slide. But, like, here's the thing, man. <laughs> Once you've played Malifaux enough, the, the actual... Like, fluff for the rules or the idea behind the mechanics is all so ridiculous that uh, you just embrace it, right? Like, it becomes normal. Really? Yeah. It's just... Especially because I play Gremlins <laughs> and all of the rules are fucked up. Like, all of them. Okay. Like, there's one guy that heals himself by petting a piggy. Like, it's... He should at least be stroking a furry wall. Come on. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that's how you heal. Duh. Especially after the Jeffrey. <laughs> I just had a really weird flashback to being on tour. Okay. <laughs> Did you smoke a Jeffrey? <laughs> no. We were playing in this, like, basement venue of a 
uh, a radio Topical. station in Nelson, and they had this big wall that was like all furry. Oh, so. I feel like in Nelson there was a Jeffrey involved for sure. We should move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah. So I did that. Ended up not coming in last, and then ended up not coming in last in the Henchman Hard- Hardcore, which is like the four models just smash things. Yep. Um, and then uh, we actually, as a podcast, sponsored the best painted with a deck box, and then I judged the models for that, and then ended up actually taking best sport. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. I feel like there's a conflict of interest in there, but I don't care. That's awesome. <laughs> Best sport, sponsoring the painting. That's how we roll here at Hobby Night. We just cheat. So. Nepotism. Nepotism, exactly. You just buyer awards. It works. Yeah, exactly. It's the way we win everything. Bribes and cheating. Buy your way up to a cabinet posting. Life is good. Exactly. Yeah, man, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so it, as even though I was not at the LVO, I did actually get... Uh, Get to play in an event this weekend. That's pretty fun. That's pretty solid. I guess we should move on. Yeah, we should. I believe it is now Shut Up and Take Your Money. Oh, it is. Yeah, you were about to skip that. I was, and I had a really... Save save the segue. Yeah, we'll save that segue. It was really great. Uh, Uh, I'll start, because I spent a bit of money. uh, Apparently. Yeah, so this is already Shut Up and They Have Taken My Money, but I want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, so if you aren't familiar with who Dave Taylor is, he's got a blog. He was an XGW employee. He paints really well. He's now doing some work for Cool Mini or Not, specifically around um, contracting for some of their new game systems, which if you haven't looked, a lot of us that looked at their old miniatures kind of brushed them aside. Their new stuff for Dark Age and Wrath of Kings is incredible. Well, to be fair, Wrath of Kings was always beautiful models. Yeah, I shouldn't say new stuff of Wrath of Kings because Wrath of Kings is new. Yeah. Um, but that level of quality from Wrath of Kings, if you've seen that Kickstarter, has now started seeping back into Dark Age. And both of those lines are absolutely stunning. So they had two intro tables set up at Las Vegas Open. Uh, an entire, every single miniature from the range and stuff that was coming out painted in a display cabinet by the painter that they contract for the box art. Like, these are actually the box art minis they bring to every convention. That's awesome. Which does a really good job of selling the miniature, frankly, when you oh, have absolutely. that level of painting on everything. Um, I had written off the game. I didn't really th- care about the miniatures. I had seen them before. In person, 100% sold. Picked up a Dark Age army. I've got actually now two. I've got two factions from uh, the Drakiri. Uh, and one of the things that I really kind of half sold me on it is the background is incredible. Their army books have maybe 10 pages of rules and a huge section, at least like 90 pages of fluff, which is different than a lot of the games that are coming out that are toting how much uh, their game system is good and they're really light on the painting, really light on the uh, the background. Yeah. Um, this has strong miniatures, pretty strong gameplay. It's, in my opinion, just slightly more less complex Infinity. Uh, there's still a lot of interactions and still a lot of depth to the game, but it's not like Infinity where you play three turns and it's insanity in three turns because you can't do more than that without your brain melting out your ears. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I picked up some Dark Age, and then I also spent a lot at Forge World's booth. Um, and, more importantly, the best piece that I got, I picked up the last Imperial Fist mug. Before Word could. Before Word could. Which makes me so happy. Yes. But honestly, you have earned that. You painted the army. I have an Imperial Fist army. He does not. Yeah. He has a few. Give him credit. He has a few painted Space Marine helmets. And a few hundred clean Space Marines. Yeah. 
he's ready to go to start painting that army. He's readier than anyone's ever been to paint an army. He's ready to go, but he just can't finish. He can't finish. Just can't work it to completion. So anyways, yeah, I've I got quite a bit of stuff, and I'm super stoked on Dark Age. So I'm going to be working on that for the next little bit. Not bad, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I probably won't be buying anything for our next Shut Up and Take My Money. No, oh, that's totally fair. Um, I guess for me, the pigs are coming out right away. Nice. For the Gremlins. What did they I drop no from the sky? Nothing, but they go back and forth between Gremlins and pigs. Okay. Because they they're a pig. Of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, so speaking, this has nothing to do with, uh, with uh, Malifaux, but Wrath of Kings, did you see that they have pig models as well? And they're all union workers, which I feel like is questionable. <laughs> when did they get pig model? Is that a newer thing post Kickstarter? I have no idea, but they have the union forces, and there a lot of them are just pig people. And I'm oh. not really sure what that means if they are unionized or what, but it had Rats union workers, pig people. I'm going to look that up while you talk about what you're going to spend your money on, Dan. Um, trying to think. I, I don't know if I did uh, anything for Shut Up and Take My Money this last week, because I actually just found out in the last couple days that uh, my roommate is leaving uh, at the end of the month. Ooh, that's not good. So I'm going to be buying in or moving to a new place in a couple of months as a result, so I should probably go on, you know. Austerity measures. Yeah, a little bit. See, what I think this means is you now just have more room to game. Well, convert all that part of the house into gaming tables. For the next few months, I'm just like, don't think of it as losing a roommate so much as gaining an office. Exactly. But I can't afford to live there by myself, and nor can my sister, who I'm renting it from, afford to just not have that amount of income. Because she just had a kid, so she's not working. She kind of needs to pay the bills. <laughs> These are amazing, by the way. <laughs> I told you, right? They're pretty fucking solid models. But, uh, yeah, so I don't think it makes too much sense for me to be Dumping a whole bunch of money on hobby stuff the next little while, that's okay. unfortunately. Uh, that's okay, because I gave you St. Celestine. That's true. So you have to paint that up anyways, and it's free. Because <laughs> I want to use St. Celestine. <laughs> and it's not like I don't have like a bajillion battle tech, and this is not a test models to paint anyway. So exactly. I should probably focus a little more on them and not so much on what I'm buying next. Although I really kind of want to buy a really expensive new computer. Well, that wasn't hobby related at all. How well, it can be. Different hobby. That's different hobby. What do, you, what do you think of the new uh, Gathering Storm stuff? You got any interest to pick up that book? Because um, I'm probably going to... That'll be my next hobby purchase is Gathering Storm Part 2. Do you, how much are those books? I don't know. I That's, don't know. I just... I don't... You know your, your famous sage that, advice that you gave me where never do the math? Yeah. I started doing that when I buy stuff, so I actually don't know how much that costs. <laughs> that is totally fair, but the only thing that makes me nervous about that is I spent, what, like $500 on End Times books? Yeah. Because... and. They're coming out with these like every month, so who knows how many of them they're going to do. That being said, the End Times books were a one-time shot, and then the universe exploded, and everybody felt a little bit bad about buying the End Times stuff. Yeah, but the we Storm still don't exactly know. Like, we know what they're kind of saying. I, I, I'm not trying to poop on your parade here, I know. but th- there was never the rhetoric that the game was going to end after End Times. No, they didn't say that, but they've specifically said this time around that they are not end timing 40k it doesn't mean they're not making these books unusable when they go to the next edition they've also very specifically said that all of your current codices will still be valid are they technically a codice uh yeah because codex you fucker stop saying codice that's right they are codexes (laughs) that's right they've specifically also said the the singular for codices is not codice it's just just codex singular is fine okay but thanks for that Appreciate it. <laughs> oh, man, these guys even have nipple piercings. 
Yeah, they're ridiculous. And we are not talking about 40k anymore. No, we're talking about the <laughs> pig unions. I told you they're they're ridiculous. Well, it's actually humans with like no. Oh my god, they look like Oompa Loompa. No, man. these are not piercings. They straight up have clothespins on their nipples. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they're they're a weird faction. So they're like low budget BDSM pig Oompa Loompa humans. Well, that's these, a no, mouthful. No, these are the herders of the pigs. Oh. Oh, I think those are some of the models that Jay used for a TNT with like a assault cannon guy. Oh yeah. Sorry, as we're really on topic. Tangent, tangent. Oh, tangent, we got three tangent. of us. We, don't, we can we can take up some time where they would normally be talking. Oh, that's so true. Good. We get we get more airtime. We can yell more. Oh man. <laughs> oh man, this is great. This could go way off the rails very quickly. Well, considering the fact that I'm looking at like 32 millimeter models of a guy with like a weird gimp gag and clothespins on his nipples <laughs> with a bunch of like Doc- Island of Dr. Moroe like pig warrior things. Yeah, they're they're and odd. it's doing it for me. It's an odd <laughs> faction. We all thought that that would be the one that you'd like the most by far. <laughs> so I'm suddenly feeling a little feeling a little bit less comfortable about our seating arrangement. I feel like I need to switch places. <laughs> Sitting a little too close to Tom right now. This is working for him. Oh my god, and their master blaster! Look at that! There's like little dudes riding those dudes! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, okay, so I'm glad that, that one was correct. We were right. Yeah. There were a few Dark Age factions we thought Tom might enjoy, and we were like, no, but that, that, will, be, that will be the one. The Wrath of King stuff. 100%. Oh my god! <laughs> that is super weird. And I just want to put like little drops of like the Tamiya blood mix just like around the clothespins. No, you don't want blood. You don't want blood. You want it just to be purple and bruised. No, like, no a li- like a couple little drops just like on the inside of the clothespins and then some like. I'd say a little bit of bruising. purple bruising. That's all you Honestly, need. it would be really don't great. Don't go over the top here. No, like a, don't little, bit of, like, a little bit of like vein kind of coming away from that. Like a sliver got into the nipple and got infected. <laughs> oh, God. That's way too graphic. I don't want to know. Like, playing across the table for me, that means you thought about this way too much, and that's a little bit unnerving. Just for your opponent, just so we're clear here. You'd have to, like, pick up my models and look them up close, though. You wouldn't notice it from, like, three feet away. Yeah, but if you do them well enough, people would look at them, and then they would be, abhor- like, just horrified. Oh. <laughs> this is so weird. I am so turned on right now. Okay, we should move on. <laughs> All right. So our first period is about... No! Hold on! Segway. Let's put a pin in that. Oh, God, that's bad. It's amazing! Because we're talking about pinning! Yes. Yes, we are. At that least we will be. And tremendously punny. And clothespins. And clothespins, yeah. Jesus. Oh, my God. Okay, uh, I'm back so on thrilled. topic. I'm so thrilled. Uh, we haven't actually, I don't think, ever discussed pinning a model on this uh, program before. I guess not. Um, Ward's kind of the curator of things we've talked about before, so I'm just going to trust his he judgment is our librarian. on this. Yeah. Um, but also, that being said, there's a lot less this day and age you need to pin. Uh, there's fewer metal models in general out there. Yeah. Uh, everybody's doing resin or plastic. And a lot of the newer models coming out are way thinner yeah. in plastic where pins are less pragmatic. Yeah, but that being said, there still is, there still are a few models out there that are pewter that uh, I think will need pins, and it's kind of a lost art. So one of the things 
a pin does is basically hold your model together. Typically in the old GW world, your greater demon wings, that kind of thing. Like a huge heavy metal piece that was attached by a very thin joint. Swords were another big one. Swords were a thing, yeah. Uh, swords you could get away with a little bit more, there's less weight to them. Uh, but still, the moment you knocked over that model, the sword would snap off or a little flimsy arm or whatever. But the big one was always, for me, um, large metal models. Like my avatar, the arm that's out hold, uh, outstretched holding the sword, it's pretty heavy. So the way you do that is you want to drill in a pin. And there's lots of ways to do that. There's people that use uh, drill presses and people that use hand drills. Um, like a I've, Dremel? I've always used a hand drill. What do you guys use? I've almost exclusively always just used those little, like, manual hand drill pin vices. Yep. Uh, once or twice, uh, I've actually used my, like, Black & Decker drill. Really? I've never used one of those on a model. Uh, and I've only ever done it for, like, doing larger holes for magnets, not for pinning. Because oh, okay. for pinning, you only really ever need to just get the thin little hole, like... I'm, yeah, like with paperclip gauge or yeah. a little bit of brass wire if you're doing like a Titan or something. Yeah, I've always used paperclip. I've used nothing else. Especially ever. when you go to the dollar store. Not even you, spaghetti? No, I use that to paint <laughs> on a stick. I use that for my, yeah, I glue that just to the foot. But like, um, I found you go to the dollar store and you can often get those packs where it's got three different gauges of paperclip. Yeah. And especially because they're the dollar store, it's normally like the shittiest brass paperclip you can find, which means it cuts better, it's easier on your tools. Yeah. And it's a dollar for like 300 And the key <laughs> about pinning models is you don't need a like hardened tool steel pin. Like that's not an issue. What you're trying to get is basically a uh, something that won't shear. And a paperclip has more than enough strength to stop the piece from actually shearing and you get more surface area to hold the glue so you don't have uh you still will have the model break like if you drop your bloodthirster with its crazy wings it's going to shatter um but the issue is when you pick it up by the wing it's not and that's basically what the pin is there for so you don't need to go with something ridiculous yeah, like so it can handle the rigors of like moderately careful gaming and not just like sitting on a shelf. Yep. If you drop a big heavy model, it's going to break. There's not much you can do about that. Yeah, and I know some people with some of the Titans have even used like Bridgeport tools where they have like the drill that can go like different angles through while it's cutting, so they'll drill right through the leg and up through the torso kind of thing. Um, I know Mike did this for his... I can't even wrap my head around how that works. Yeah, I don't really understand how Bridgeport <laughs> tool works either, but that's beside the point. Um, I know Mike did something like that with his Eldar Revenant Titan, where he's got like one leg um, yeah, on the he's base, jumping off of one leg with that entire model's weight on like one ankle. Yeah, yeah. So he did that up through the knee and that kind of stuff, and it's uh, pretty impressive what how strong that model is. And I that would be on the extreme side of how you pin, where you need Mike's a machinist, so he kind of knows how to do this sort of stuff. And it is something they use in industry all the time to actually uh, fix pieces with a pin or a friction fit or right. something like that. So that's what you're trying to emulate just on a smaller scale. Uh, do you guys have any other tips? Um, I, I guess one of the other things is, especially if you're dealing with metal models, like drilling is easier if you can lubricate it a little bit. Um, like it's entirely true. And dry, it's going to take a lot more effort, um, and it's definitely not going to finish as quickly. Um, I'm glad you're going yeah, it's this. just It's a lot of wear and tear on your tip. Yeah. Yeah, the tip will wear out, and it's really hard to get any work done if the tip is worn. Uh, so the it's key was that. Pleasant. 
would be what kind of lube would you use? I would use uh, a dry silicone lube. I actually use saliva. <laughs> I'll spit on it. <laughs> really? Yeah, like you just kind of get like a little saliva off your tongue under your drill bit, and it, it works really well. Really? Because I always yeah. use WD-40. That's the easiest one for me, and now that I have a graphite lube, I just do that, and it uh, keeps the drill bit around forever. Yeah, this is not your, like, preserving bits forever solution. It's your making shit a little bit easier, keeping your tools a little bit better. Huh. That's uh, a lot easier than going up to the garage and getting my silicone spray and making an absolute mess of everything. Yeah, you and spit on it. And bottle. It <laughs> I know what you're doing here, Tom. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not even trying at this point. I'm actually trying to have a serious conversation. No, you no, you weren't. No. There was never a pretense of that. No, but that's actually what I do. Like, you just kind of build up a little bit of saliva in your mouth, like, just kind of like your brush flicking, but with the tip of the yeah the drill bit, I, and then I go to you. town. I got, I got but you where you're going here. You can't keep a straight face. I can't turn it off. I can't, I'm, I, like I said, I'm wanting this to be a serious conversation and it's useful, but I just, whatever is, like, maybe it's the fact there's only three of us, so I've got no mic to look at me so disappointed. That's true. You are both enablers in this, in this <laughs> oh, capacity. 100%. I find so, uh, But yeah, it, it actually works really well. Um, I would imagine 99.9% of the planet would, has the that naturally occurring. I would hope it's more than that, but yes. Yeah, that would make sense. I'm sure um, some people don't make saliva. I'm sure it's a thing somewhere. Quick Google it. <laughs> um, Anyways. You got, like, severe dry mouth due to medication? Yeah. Is there a particular uh, hand drill that you guys use? Are you still using the one that we all bought ancient? Yeah, times? I've got two of those old Citadel ones, and I still love them dearly. So I have those, but I've actually got one that is not quite the same. The one that, because the Citadel ones, at least the older ones, um, they didn't have the one chuck that can handle, like, from the t- teeny tiny, like, fraction of a millimeter up to, the, like, the one-eighth yeah. or whatever. Yeah. They have the ones where they're... Um, and four chucks. Yeah, there's four chucks, and you kind of, like, flip, take it out, flip it upside down, that sort of a thing. Yeah. I have one that is, I don't even know what brand it was. I bought it off some, like, random American hobby you know, model train type website a million years ago when I was buying some other tools. Hmm. But it actually has that like, um, more like power drill style one where it is just, it's the one chuck that can do anything from like the three or four mil bits all the way down to like the hairline ones. Hmm. So you don't have to like change out the chuck tips and all the other bullshit. Gotcha. The downside of that one actually is that it doesn't, the butt end of it doesn't freely rotate. The butt end of it actually screws off to where the, the bits should be stored. Yeah, I have so one of those have to push, I hate it. So when you have to push hard on it, to, like to drill into metal, the butt end usually just unscrews itself and then falls apart. So, so it is great on one side and terrible on the other. Quite so, literally. Yeah. So you know how everybody made fun of the GW tools for being so crazy expensive? Are their drill bits or pin vices actually reasonable? Nope. They're crazy expensive, but you know, it's really good. It's a great, it's probably the only product in that line of, like, their clippers, uh, their, like, mold line remover garbage, and their hobby knife. Their drill press or their hand drill is actually really solid. It's well-constructed. Hmm. It's really nice for, its ergonomics are good. It's got a big enough, like, Yeah, it, it seems to have the larger um, kind of pivoting portion, whereas yep. the ones that we use... It's basically the size of a nickel. Oh, yeah. No, this one, when you can actually push and get some force on it when you're Without trying it, like, to... like, destroying your hand? Yeah. It's a, it's a nice piece. I'm, I'm surprised huh. that it's... I can recommend it. Like, it's not... For value for money, not that great. And since a lot of people are not pinning a lot anymore, and GW doesn't even produce a metal model... But I'm drilling all the time for magnets. So... Yeah. It's yeah. kind of the same theory. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that... 
even though pinning was mostly used for pewter models, I will still normally have between one to four pins on a lot of plastic models as well, depending on what it is, especially if it's somewhere more structural, because I grew up during the era, era of you pin everything and it doesn't break. Yeah. And so, unless it's something that I physically cannot pin because it's too thin, if and even then I'll kind of try and fudge it, but if it's remotely structural, I'll reinforce it with a pin. So, coming back to Dark Age, if you couldn't uh, tell I was excited about that, a lot of the models have super dynamic poses. I'm not going to pin their arms because their arms have, like, no weight, and I feel like that's not worth a ton of time. But the uh, legs... But what I was going to say is the attachment to the base. A lot of them are, like, yeah. up on one foot or on the ball of their foot, like, going forward. Um, that is a huge point. That is where you're going to have the most leverage on this model, by far, and it will break off off of a lot of those. Like the scenic bases I'm going to use are going to be resin to resin connection. That's inherently not going to be that strong. And when somebody's just leaping off like the tip of one toe and it's a big model with a big spear outstretched and stuff, yeah, that's going to break <laughs> off constantly. Yeah, yeah, like the model I'm holding right now. And I do that a lot for my Malifaux models. But uh, one of the things that I've found is that I'll actually. Um, I used to, with old G-Dub models, be able to drill like up the heel, into the leg, because mm-hmm. you could go straight up and it'd be fine. With a lot of these models, you actually have to drill along the length of the foot. Yeah, because the foot's at bend, an angle. And yeah. then bend the, the pin. And because yeah. you're not standing flat-footed on the base, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. otherwise you're getting weird pins showing anywhere else. And I found that to be fairly structural, because then you're getting your like millimeter or so. Well, it's still not going to shear, and you're still going to get a yeah. little more uh, connection there. Yeah, for sure. That's not... That's I, that makes perfect sense, but yeah, you do have to be careful. Like, uh, don't obviously drill through the foot. That's gonna look dumb. Been so, there, done that. Yeah, we does. all have. Yeah, I know. I went right up through a knee of a space marine once, and I was like, "What happened?" How I still that do go? that probably twice a year. Yeah, that sucks. It's not fun. And it's easy to it. fix, but well, it can be depending on how badly you fucked up the model. <laughs> you just paint the model like he has a bullet hole in his boot. No, just do the old Steve technique of uh, super, glue super glue accelerant. Fill it with super glue. Fill it with super glue and a rasp file. You're fine. Don't worry about it. Those tool marks, it'll look great. <laughs> just paint them like paint chips. Exactly. Cover it in pigment and blood. Yeah, 100%. Perfect. Like Honestly, that's kind of what I do. If I ever really fuck up a model, pigment and blood. Yep. So well, I think so good on Battletech, just saying. Well, picking it in blood, that just coolant. means that something went really weird. Just have, you, have like, the... Nurgle, Nurgle's Rot just has some, like, coolant leaking out from the battle damage. You mean Typhus Corrosion? No. What's Nurgle's Rot? It's the one where it's, like, the gl- heavy, thick gloss varnish with, like, the yellowish-green tint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want... Uh, so it'd be, like, radiator Typhus Corrosion fluid. wouldn't make sense for... If your radiator fluid was uh, Typhus Corrosion all brown and sandy, that's a problem <laughs> in your car. I feel Tom like Tom Bear gives no fucks. I feel like Tom's car may be shittier than we give it credit for. This <laughs> <laughs> is a possibility. It's oh my god. Yeah, I. Oh. All right, I guess we should move on because I think we've covered pinning quite a bit. We're talking about but automotive now. I guess one of the things it's I just wanted to mention quickly. It's not necessarily always the um, the most beneficial thing for pinning, but when you're doing a lot of drilling on miniatures, it's pretty handy. It's the concept of doing a guide hole. So if you oh, are using, yeah, yeah. Yep. if you are doing um, a drill bit that's a little bit thicker, like more than three or four mil, or whatever, if you're like sinking in a, a heavier magnet or doing some of that heavier brass wire to like again reinforce a titan or like a greater demon or something, um, if you really need that big drill bit to, in a very specific spot, that can be quite challenging. Yeah. But if you take a little hand drill with like a regular like paperclip size drill bit. You can just drill out a tiny little hole just so there's something for the larger drill bit to bite into, 
and it'll just be like bang on dead center every time. Yeah, the, the principle of that you want something that's going to apply a lot of force in a specific area, so the bit doesn't wander. Yeah, um, exactly. That's you can do that in a lot of ways. Like a like a machinist punch will work. Something with a really sharp point that you just push into the model will do the same trick. Depending on the miniature, you might yep. not be able to get away with that. Exactly, but yeah, that's a really good point. I actually. Didn't even think to mention that, but that's that's huge. Yeah, I do it, again, I do it all the time when I'm sinking a larger magnet, like in the torso of like a heavier assault mech, yeah. where it's using like a quarter-inch drill bit or something like that. And it's better to try doing that, first of all, than start with the big one and hope that you're just not going to wander, because the moment it begins to wander, you now your guide bit will probably also wander in that same track. So yeah, it's if you fuck it up, super hard to fix if you fuck up drilling off-center like that, yeah. so it saves a lot of hassle. Just to take the 10 or 15 seconds. You don't have to go in very far even. Like, it's literally just something indenting into the surface yeah. so that the drill bit bites where you want it to. That's all. That's a good point. Yeah. So, did not think to mention that. It is super handy, total lifesaver. And, and that's why I've got multiple drill bits, because then it takes no time at all. It is pick up, put down, pick up. Yeah, if you just it. have the two drill bit sizes that you're using in two different pin vices, you just go. Yeah, it's easy. Yep, quick. It's good, because I don't do it much anymore at all. So, awesome. <laughs> yeah, but it, I, I find... Um, I can't even think of the last model that I pinned, frankly. Uh, for me, it was some of these resin Battletech models. Really? You pinned those, man. That's that's hardcore. Your shit's going to be durable. No, no, no. It is because some of the like joints where the arms and legs will attach in are the plug is a little bit larger than the hole. And in, like, trying to wiggle it in, the resin will just break off. Yeah. So then you cut it off, then you pin it. That's fair. Like So I've done a lot of uh, magnets and drilling holes for magnets in models recently. But you know how we were talking last week about uh, green stuff? I'm pretty sure that's also the last model I pinned. <laughs> <laughs> really? The hell pin? No, uh, the Wraith Knight. Or oh, Wraith yes, yes, yes. Through yes. the knees. Yeah. So they would hold together. I don't think I've pinned anything since. Well, it's all been the multi-part GW plastic stuff, which a lot of those kits are actually more intuitive. Insanely well put together and durable. Like, I haven't had to deal with that. And they generally have the, like, little sunken pieces with, like, a square yeah. peg that'll go into it. So you don't really need They basically pin. already have a pin. Yeah. Effectively built in. Yeah, a lot of more, a lot of the more intelligent CAD-designed uh, miniatures these days, you basically have those re- reinforcing pins built into the model. Yeah, but definitely, if you have any of the older stuff, like I've got buckets of old um, Citadel and Marauder uh, pewter, like from my old dwarf army and stuff. If I'm building those war machines, yeah, like those oh fucking catapults and stuff. Those, that got to be pinned. They are going to need to be pinned, or they are going to detonate. I still think the biggest example of that ever was the demons. Holy crap, those things needed pinning because they're all pewter. No, nope. heavy. No, the worst ever was third ed Tyranids. Yes. Yeah, I'll give you that. Without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. Without a doubt. Tyranid. Cormagants uh, and lash whips. No, no, no Raveners. The yeah. old school Raveners. Ooh. I was thinking the second ed models. No. No, you said third ed. Yeah, those Raveners were a flaming piece of shit. Uh, the Hive Tyrant that had all the metal bits. Uh, Carnifex. Yeah, with uh, plastic, uh, like, so you had a light body with, like, super heavy arms and, like, heads and that kind of stuff, and it was just stupid. <laughs> Fucking stupid. In addition to being spindly, it is top-heavy, so it's going to fall down a lot. Yeah, good. With, like, tiny joints that are supporting massive scything talons. Yeah, we, you know, it's funny how, like, how much times have changed. That was GW, what, 15 years ago? And now you never, they would never have something like that anymore. 
Like, I don't no. think any company would release something that dumb. Also, the only time you and I have ever worked on the same army at the same time. Tyranids. Yep. That's right. It's a good army. It's a really good army. Hormones yeah, were yeah. good back then. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. Speaking of 40K, uh, I was at a 40K tournament. I feel like I can leave the room for 20 minutes and no one will notice. You know, you shouldn't <laughs> because this was uh, was historic. This was the largest 40K singles event ever in history. Stop. Like, that's... That's intense. Without a doubt, uh, the case. There were over 430 players in this event. Um, if you were at the Las Vegas Open last year, the entire tournament took place in the same hall that only 40K took Partially place. true. Fantasy at a side room. Sure, they have one of those side rooms outside, but now they had to double the size of the tournament, like square footage-wise, just to fit effectively the 40K tournament. They added more, and they added more vendor space for sure, but the 40K champs was incredible. Like, I can't really say, speak to how impressive that event was. Uh, when you walk into a room and you see 200 tables, um, and the room is packed, 200 six by four tables, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It was something Yeah, else. and I did, I did think um, it was quite impressive last year, seeing all the 40K, and that was two... It wasn't even really maybe about two hundred and eighty. I think it was. I'm just trying to think of maybe two thirds of the room was forty k. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This was entirely one hundred percent forty k, which was crazy. Um, they did. I shouldn't say one hundred percent where the vendors were last year. That was the forty k narrative. So that entire like they had a section of the room where it was just the table sort of lining the edges of the room on one side where the vendors were last year. They put that forty k narrative there. Hmm. So that was maybe like 15 tables out of the entire room. Like it was pretty crazy. It's weird that you've got over 400 players for the the champions, but like 30 for narrative? Uh, For the friendly, 40K friendly. So that was supposed to be people that aren't taking it as seriously and are bringing a little more fluffy lists and things that they like. Um, I'm actually not sure what the restrictions were on that because I didn't play in it. Um, hmm. But it was it was interesting that that was entirely 40k. And the other thing that was cool about this this year is uh, GW was there with Warhammer TV streaming um, the top tables. Ah, oh, putting it on the Twitch channel. Yes, yeah, so they had the entire GW team uh, actually that you see on the Twitch channel. Everybody from Warhammer World they shut down huh. their typical Friday night stream. They flew everybody to Vegas. And they brought in their equipment. We actually saw them uh, setting up on the Thursday night before the event. Wow, putting that subscription money to good use. Yeah, they had a huge truck come in, and they had an entire table, or like row of tables, probably 20 feet of tables, covered in camera gear. Strictly for covering their media component uh, from Age of Sigmar as well, but also the 40K champs and 40K events. So they had a presence, and they were active involved, and those dudes are serious hobbyists. They really are into the game, which was also cool to see that they're they're not just living in sort of like what we used to assume was the GW Silver Tower where they thought uh, <laughs> the literal way Silver right. Tower. The literal Silver Tower. They actually thought um, they're they're tournament players too and they appreciate what uh, frontline gaming guys are doing for the event. Now something that you guys are gonna be happy with that we kind of touched on a little bit with uh, where War Machine is going. With 2D terrain, 40k community is definitely not going that way. 4D terrain, it the terrain for it this moves. event that is that is sufficient number of D's. 
Too many Ds. I want 4D terrain. 4D, 3D, 3D, 3 terrain. <laughs> Kick up the 4D, 3D. If you haven't watched Paul Rudd's computer, go do that right now. We'll, we'll wait. <laughs> um, uh, no, but this... Can I get a hat wobble? <laughs> Maybe a flargon style? Oyster smiling. <laughs> Quick flargon style. I have uh, a new sample for you. <laughs> All right, it's a bit of a tangent. Um... So no, Frontline this year did uh, brand new mats. They have a, a new supplier for their mats, so they had some stuff that's different than their typical fat mats. Uh, they did a Martian mat that actually looked really good. Sweet. But they are now doing, uh, and you could finally buy at the LVO, the mat with the terrain package that comes with it. Oh. And the MDF terrain that they're doing is not the ITC building. Like, okay, it's MDF terrain, it's a line of sight blocker. Their terrain that they're doing now is ridiculous. I, they didn't really release it or show what was going on before the LVO. You will see pictures of it now because it's probably some of the best MDF tournament terrain out there. Like more in line with your like um, Knights of Dice and other like super high detail stuff? Uh, yeah, pretty close. It's, I would say it's less detail, but more visually striking. It's definitely geared towards the tournament player, hmm. but it's not just a boring building. They had what, I, what Dale and I were laughing about, the Berta table which is a bunch of pump jack buildings. Like, the buildings are all have oiled air pump jacks on the top of it on a... They had it on a, a Arctic winter mat. So... <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, and they have an entire industrial-themed table. They even have so much now where, you know, the ITC crates that are just boring crates? Yeah. They have a building now that has a train-style hook to come in and grab the, the crates so the crates actually fit into it. That's actually really cool. They have a full, like, tournament-themed, like, cheap stuff to pick up. Really easy to put together, quick to paint up and make look amazing, and it's so impressive. They had like uh, power stations with smokestacks, uh, and they had painted up. They only got two of the industrial tables done, um, but it was pretty impressive. They also have a full what they're not calling a Necron line done, but clearly is a Necron table. Focron, Focron, and it's it's uh, MDF buildings, but the they have. Uh, Necron symbols basically cut out of them. So hmm. they're, they look very alien, the sort of stuff that we used to do with foam, where you would cut yeah. sections of the foam and do like the green uh, glowing stuff. This would be so fast to do on their Necron themed table. I got a picture of it, I'll, show, I'll post it later. Uh, absolutely incredible terrain. Every single table for 400 gamers had line of sight blockers. Um, like you go to any local tournament, I would almost bet you with 50 players or less. This tournament with 400 players had better terrain. No planet bowling ball. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was actually really, really cool to see. Hmm. Um, so as far as the event itself, um, I didn't do so well, <laughs> which is kind of what I'm trying not to get to. That's also nothing new. No, well, no, that's not true. At the LVO, I've always done traditionally pretty that's well. True. He's always done better at no, the no, LV, no, no. LVO World You, you played well in the games you showed up to last year. I played, yeah, that's right. But <laughs> my LVO record has been steadily, well, it's not steadily decreasing. I went 4-2 and two the first time I went, then 5-1, and one, then 3-3. Three and three. This year was 2-4. and four. So I'm, I'm on a bit of a slide. You might have peaked early, kid. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. If it keeps keeps this way, it's going to be a problem. Uh, uh, but I also think that in your defense, this year you weren't taking a tournament. <coughs> excuse me, a tournament list. I entirely was not taking a tournament list. Um, I was taking something that was different. I didn't want to play my Eldar again. Um, yeah, and it was actually the most fun I've had at the LVO. Um, I really enjoyed playing a list that uh, I wanted to play and wasn't just sort of net. You know. Not net listed, but 
um, something that was considered to be good on the internet. Yeah. And wasn't what I was passionate about. This this army I was super stoked to play and super excited to show off. Um, so I had a ton of fun. I had five phenomenal games. Um, one game I in fact almost tabled a Tau player by the end of turn three where they had five Riptides and a Storm Surge. And I took a suboptimal list and worked his army, which was pretty awesome. So there were, there were some highlights from the gaming side of things. Um, and as usual, you're in Vegas. It's a good time. I can't recommend it enough, uh, even if you're not a 40K player. So, yeah, I did play in the 40K Champs. I will be going back again next year, and I don't know if I'll play in the 40K Champs. But the event itself is so well done, so well put on. Well, and it sounds like it. it sounds like there was more peripheral stuff as well this year, which I imagine we'll get into a little more when we Ward is here. But uh, I got to say, it, it does sound like if nothing else, there's more of a company presence yes. than there was last year. Like last year, one of the only miniature manufacturers that was there was for this like weird game with like excuse me, like anteater soldier things. I don't even know what you're talking about, but yes, I'll agree with you. Uh, <laughs> it was like it was it, okay. I got to admit, it was kind of super cool because it reminded me of the movie Wizards. But it was okay. like this weird universe this guy created with these like anteater kind of looking things, and there was all these militant well, warbands no, okay. of them. That there was there was also Hawk last year. Hawk was there, but they weren't really promoting. Hawk was there, but Hawk had a booth to sell stuff and run tournaments. Yeah, Private Press was there, but they had a booth to sell stuff and be slightly involved with the tournament. This was the only game manufacturer that was, like, there with, look at all of our painted models, try out a demo of our new yeah. game. Yeah, Whereas it sounds like there was more of that kind of thing as well this yeah. year. Now just with, it sounds like with the ridiculous amount of extra space, like, they could bring on that almost, like, trade show element to it. Yeah, and I want to talk about this with, uh, with Ward uh, when he's here next, because the vendor section was pretty crazy, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, um, as far as the 40K champs go, if you want to play in a competitive tournament... This is the one you should be going to. Um, there's Adepticon and Nova and that kind of stuff on the calendar as well. It's not like this anymore. Before they were on the same plane, this year they I would... They kicked it up a notch. They kicked it... Like, it's crazy how much they kicked it up. Uh, 43D. 3D. Um, it was ridiculous. Yeah, no. The, the top tables, the people that were playing there... Also, the other thing that's always amazes me is everybody talks about lists in 40K. The top... Eight lists were all different. Uh, there were a few demon players that were kind of similar-ish. Was it like scout spam versus like weird tyrannid shenanigans again, like last time? No, it wasn't like that. There was uh, I actually, but there was chaos renegades. So you had some Forge World lists that were in the top tables. Um, you had Dark Eldar as primary made the top tables. Um, there was a lot of variety in this in the tournament scene which was cool to see because you don't I don't think a lot of times when you're playing local tournaments you get that a lot of people play the same lists you don't see that variety um, I guess if you're playing with that ridiculously much larger of a field you're going to get a lot more of the outliers oh without a doubt I mean the I played uh, what did I play I played Renegades I played Tyranids I played uh, Tau Chaos Demons Orcs and then a Demons player um, so I only doubled up on one list, and they, the two demons players were very different lists, actually. So different gods. Uh, yep, yep, they were. One was entirely Zinch aligned with no Magnus, and one was taking the Infernal Tetrad. So that's kind of a uh, chaos uh, 
undivided EV yeah. kind of. And he had the coolest display board I've ever seen. Actually, he had a badass display board. He had done a portal up where one side of the list, our army was uh, like green rolling planes, and they he that, those were the demons he deployed on the table. The stuff that he summoned on his display board was in hell, and he actually did up a portal with LEDs that had. Uh, when you looked at the front of the portal, you could see into hell from the green grassy side. And when you looked at the hell side, you could see onto the green side huh. of things. And it was done with LEDs. And he had glowing paper. He was talking about how you can get this particular paper printed that when you flick a switch, it lights up. And it looks it looked crazy. He had this like fence. And then on the back side, he had like fissures and, and was clearly hell. And then like a nice rolling grassy field on the other side where the demons were coming out. And all of his demon bases were done so that it was corrupting the grass where the demons were stepping. It was badass. He had a wow. sweet display base. Yeah, good guy. Uh, a lot. We had a great game. He kicked the shit out of me with his Infernal Tetrad. Um, but I'm okay with losing to an army that clearly has that thought and love put into it. So That's awesome. No sweet. kidding. Yeah, and this is the 40K champs. Like, you get that. It's not just people coming with, like, barely painted miniatures. Like, the frontline guys very much enforce a three-color minimum. They said, if you don't have three colors... We're going to take your models off the table. If you get to the top eight and you want to play on with unpainted models and you happen to be on the stream, you're just out of the event with those models. Like, just expect huh. to lose. So bring painted shit. Um, which, I mean, it's good to see them still pushing the hobby and pushing the renaissance thing in that event. So yeah. uh, I can't say enough good things. Every year I feel like I do the same sort of rant because it keeps getting better. I cannot wait to see what happens next year. So That's sweet. That's the LBO. Go play 40k it's fun you're looking at me like i'm lying tom but it is it's pretty fun and you can you could probably play some like battletech solaris arena tournaments too you could i'm pretty sure that's the thing <laughs> that was the thing they did have there dan i don't know if you you want to <laughs> i'm just you know just talking to all the uh, battletech fans out there uh they didn't have a three color minimum people. standard <laughs> one model one model they did not have a three color minimum standard well, why would you paint your model? Uh, I'm not even going to... Yeah. Actually, you know I'm going to arrest this conversation before it goes any further. I do want to say one thing. They were all painted. But they did not enforce the three-color minimum. Oh. Well, well, yeah, that's fair. So take that for what you want. some paint? Well, we got... One color. <laughs> <laughs> why even paint it? So you can differentiate it from your opponents? I guess. I, like... Anyways, we're digressing. That's uh, yeah, that's, that's, not that's, that's so off topic, and that's not like us at all. <laughs> yeah, I guess we should move on to topic three. Oh, which also, I, I feel like this is really going to tie in because this is talking about spending money at conventions. Yeah, so we may as well talk a little bit about the dealer, the dealers that were at the LVO. Yeah, so they had um, Forge World. Uh, the Frontline Gaming Store, so a lot of GW and uh, other third-party product uh, um, purveyors. And then they also had um, Hawk and uh, Cool Mini or Not, Privateer Press as well. So those were the nice. miniature producers that they had. And then, of course, they had Green Man Designs, um, a Fez shop. Yeah, this was a weird one. They had Like the weird Shriner hats? 100%. Oh, shit. I know. It's like there's a website for this because I've looked at them before and they do like weird nerdy fezzes that are super high quality. Fezorama? Yeah. Fezorama. 100%. 100% they were there. Oh, fuck me. Fezorama. I've yes. always wanted like because they look so cool and you get like a Cthulhu fez or whatever else. Yes. 
But that was them. I feel like I could not wear a fez in public. Uh, so they had the, the Fezorama booth was intense. They had like you know like a showtimey like Hollywood sign where it has like all the light bulbs screwed in. Yeah. They had a huge Fezorama sign on the booth that like flashed and did with the light bulbs thing. It was it was weird. How we many all, fezes would they have to sell to pay off that sign? That's what I. Uh, they sold a lot of fucking fezes. I don't know. <laughs> What <laughs> the number was? Is that like the new fedora for gamer hipsters? I think Probably. so. Well, again, because like so. you look on their website and they've. I was actually at a games night with some friends of mine, and one of the guys had a fez, and he's like, "I got it from this website, Fezorama." So I look at it, and they had a ton <laughs> of these like okay crazy fezes. So yeah, they were there, and uh, they had a line for most of Saturday morning, so or Friday morning, so that was not. What I expected, frankly, but they wow. were there and they did well. Uh, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I have. I think Will Wheaton actually had his profile pic on Twitter for the longest time was him wearing a fez and like a tux. So maybe this is actually a thing in some corner of the internet. I feel like it is because they looked like they were actually like high production value. Like they, they had are. a nice booth. They're nice fezes. Their booth looked really good. I didn't buy a fez because there's zero chance I'm wearing one in public. Um. But around that convention hall, maybe I would have worn a Fez if they had, like, another sweet Imperial Fist Fez and it was the last one and Ward was beside me. Would have bought that. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Oh, man. Um, okay, but the, the topic of uh, the third period is, if you're at a convention, how do you purchase strategically? What's your plan? Because there's usually too much to buy. Well, the key is setting up a line of credit before you leave. That is a good point. Or going with cash and keeping yourself limited. There's like, two approaches. I like dance. <laughs> obviously, you saw me last Vegas. I also like dance. Yeah, uh, but in all honesty, this year we did have. I did have a budget because I knew Fortral was going to be there, and that is why I had a budget. Because there was too many things I could have bought. They had all the books, all the books, and at like a hundred dollars each, depending on the exchange rate, that adds up quickly if you're not careful. All the books plus all the masterclass books. Uh, so volume one and two and Horace Heresy, another hundred dollar book. So it was like, Oh, do you want $700 worth of books? Us enjoy. <laughs> so I had a, I had a budget from Ford. I specifically budgeted for the vendors that I knew that were going to be there. Yeah. And I budgeted forge world $150. That That's was reasonable. my, that was my forge world budget. Get you some toys or some books or some combination thereof. Yep. Um, and then I had extra spending cash. I was going to spend at most $200 at the convention. Hmm. That was my, or not, not two hundred dollars, two hundred plus the hundred fifty. Okay. Uh, so three fifty was my my goal. I missed my goal. Did you because of dark or age? I went over. Because of dark age. Because of dark age, but price is right rules you lose by default. So it means you have to lose. us. Yeah. You we can win have, the showcase showdown. <laughs> <laughs> you can have my my two models. I'm not going to use. If you want to play Dragari. Anyways, my my point is, is even with having that budget, it was helpful because I didn't go completely out of control and had to, like, take out a line of credit. Even with that, uh, with what I spent over, the budget was useful. Well, I think a lot of the times, whenever I'm trying to do this stuff at conventions, <coughs> excuse me, I'll go down and I'll kind of set myself a budget about 20% lower than I can really afford to have it set at. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As, like, a, I don't want to spend more than this. But, Cost overrun. But budget. I could, like, without going broke, spend this. Yes. 
but the game plan is I only spend a certain amount that's less than that. So when I inevitably spend more... You don't have to take out a mortgage. Yeah, it's not like I'm coming back and, like, I guess I'm eating ramen for a month. Like, <laughs> you've actually... Yeah. It's still within some kind of an acceptable tolerance, right? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and then there's the ward plan where it's you buy everything. I also like the plan of... Hopefully Kyra doesn't listen to this podcast. I like the plan of talk your friends that you went down with into buying things that they really don't need. I say this as I'm looking at the... um, What is that? Like, What's the name of that Space Marine chapter? Oh, the Iron Skulls. The Iron Skulls, like where I talked to Adam into... I didn't just talk him into buying it from the Black Library booth. I actually went out to the ATM and got him the money because he claimed that it wouldn't give him enough money to buy it. So I was like, I got you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, so that's how I ended up with my free poster. Yeah, I just ended up loaning Adam Percy several hundred dollars to go buy it, and then, like, purely just because it amused the shit out of me. That's awesome. That conversation was awesome, and I could see him trying to weasel his way out of it, but I was like, no, this is happening. You gave him no chance. <laughs> uh, and now you ended up with it as a birthday present one year. So. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. It's great. My strategy is the best of all. Yeah, you very much saved me some art space, I guess. I don't know. This could be a painting that I don't like. Now it's but space I, I think realistically speaking, it's one of those things where you got to expect you're going to see more cool shit than you were planning. Yes. And you're probably going to want to spend more money than you'd like to. So I guess for me, my real strategy for not spending too much money at conventions is I didn't go to the LVO this year. Yep. Because I knew, I, I knew if I went to Vegas again, it would be a very expensive weekend of like yeah, flights are not too bad. Hotels are not too bad. The yeah. con itself is not that expensive. Food and food and toys. booze and toys is a lot. That and starts adding up quickly. And so for me, I'd rather I'd much rather go to a convention every two years and have a really good time than every year and have to penny pinch and not be able to buy the cool stuff because that's half the fun at a con. Yeah, there's always going to be limited edition stuff, convention exclusive oh, yeah. stuff, pre-release stuff. There's always going to be something you had no idea existed and you're going to like splooge all over it and then you'll Forge be, World you'll be obligated to buy it because you've splooged on it. Forge World event exclusives. They had every single event exclusive there. Oh, fuck me! God Did damn it! They had the... Although... Oh yeah, you should have asked me for it. All, their, all their event exclusive stuff is now available from <sighs> Warhammer World year round. Yeah. So you won't get nearly as bad eBay gouging. You can just get somebody to buy it from Nottingham. Although the event exclusive slash Warhammer World uh, Custode Hero is 45 pounds. So even before eBay gouging, it's like a $70 model for just like an infantry Is that actually the one? Really? Yeah, he's got like a giant, instead of like a halberd, it's like a force axe. So that's the other thing at a, at a convention. They it's, don't usually put prices on their stuff. Uh, you can look at everything, but there's no prices until you walk up to the register. That's a great business model. It's fantastic at a con because you're in a huge... So the other thing, do you buy <laughs> at the beginning of the day or beginning of the con to try and get stuff before it sells out or wait till the end to try and get deals before they inevitably have to ship things back? Well, any of the major manufacturers aren't going to play ball like that. Uh, Hawk a couple years ago? Hawk does. I Okay, I love Hawk. I'm not going to call them a major manufacturer. Sure. Right? I'll I'm talking your private to your press and your games workshop. Like the companies that are really volume selling. The shit. potentially publicly <laughs> traded type ones. Cool Mini or not, it's publicly traded. And they were doing some volume discounts. I also don't think Cool Mini or not's a big player. Publicly traded Hong Kong Stock Exchange? I'd say they're pretty big. They got a but lot of board as, games. No, but as far as. Maybe they're, they're tabletop miniatures. Okay, I'll yeah, do that. that's what I'm saying, right? Like, so it really depends on what you're going for. If you're if you're going to be getting your stuff from like a privateer press or a games workshop or whatever else, get in line. It doesn't matter. You get it now if you want it before it sells out. 
if there's that periphery stuff that you're like, ooh, maybe. Yeah. Especially from these smaller manufacturers. Look at it. See if it's still there at the end of day one. Yeah. Maybe end of day two. Maybe end of day three. Swoop in and be like, what if I buy all these things? What will you do for me? Yeah. You know, you never know, right? But I think you kind of have to think about who it is you're trying to buy from. So your strategy is event, uh, specific, or vendor specific. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I think that's totally reasonable. And that's pro- that's what I would have done and it should have done. Uh, Kyle asked me to pick up some uh, Blood Bowl stuff. They sold out in 10 minutes oh. <laughs> for their event. Jesus exclusive Crumbleberry. Uh, that one was gone right away. What? Were the words that just came out of your mouth? Their Crumbleberry is the guy's name. I don't actually know. He comes with another. There's two in the pack. I, I'm picturing like a cereal mascot, but Blood Bowl. So like dead people and covered in blood. Yes. Okay. Uh, continue on. <laughs> uh, wow. So anyways, th- that sold out in like 10 minutes. And then the Mighty Zug uh, was gone by like the first two hours, which was after my game. So yeah. yeah, if you want those those models, I guess, from those manufacturers, yeah, you're right. Get in line. Get them early. Um, be there early too. Like ask when. Yeah, a lot of times you open. can. A lot of the times you can queue up in advance of the doors opening. Yeah, I did not know, so I showed up at eight o'clock um, for painting judging. Uh, I showed up, I think, at eight thirty, and they were already sold out. So yeah. I should have been there at, at eight when they opened. And I think I think we've briefly touched on this before, but like a little bit of etiquette for getting your friends to buy stuff. If it's event ex- exclusive stuff like that. Don't expect them to wait up first thing in the morning, or, like, line up first thing in the morning to grab it for you. Unless they were going to do it already for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you got to be reasonable. You're not at the con. Like, allow your friend to enjoy the con experience. Oh, and don't get me wrong. I totally did. I didn't buy the miniature. (laughs) No, (laughs) but I I remember we briefly touched on this a while ago when it came to, like, event-exclusive kind of models. But I think the other thing is a lot of these event exclusive models you can order them like you can buy them at the at the con and if they don't have them they'll ship them to you. They're not going to miss a chance cool. to take your money. Um, yeah. So I actually was able to get all the stuff that uh, that Kyle wanted. Still, I just didn't get it in person. I do get free shipping on it, which is pretty sweet. Well, that's really good. Yeah. So both of those those bubble models I can get. I just don't have them right now. That's all. Oh, that's cool. That's a really great system actually. Yeah. So so. Check if they don't have them. Ask. See what they can do for you. Because a lot of times they don't want to piss off their fans. If, if it's something that the fans really want, they'll they'll make sure they can get it for you. And again, they're making money. They're happy. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't really cost them that much more to run a production, you know, or bring some models that they're clearly going to have for the whole year. Uh, send one extra. That's true because they're going to be making them for the whole season of yeah. conventions. So exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a pretty good strategy. Is set a budget have a cost overrun section um, <laughs> and uh, figure out what vendors, what stuff you want from the vendors ahead of time that you must get and then sort of set a little bit aside for some sort of splurge stuff that you never thought you'd need. Yeah. Tokens. Like Dark Age. Like Dark Age entirely, <laughs> which was supposed to be Drop Fleet, but turned into Dark Age. Yeah, but I guess the other thing too is that there's going to be a, there's probably going to be some more stocking Drop Fleet in the city. Yes. Eventually. Yes. Maybe not today, maybe not the next month, but it seems like there's enough of a following for Hawk locally, whereas yeah. Dark Age, I have never heard of anyone playing that game I've in the city before. I've never even seen it before, really. I've seen a few models online on Cool Mini. I didn't realize it was even a game. I think I saw a few models in like various game stores, but they were the old shitty ones. Yeah. I think the only ones I've ever seen painted by somebody I know were some ones that Glenn did up a million years ago. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that checks out. I think he did a couple Forsaken on commission, like, a million years ago. Like, at least ten. When it was new. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, uh, splurge for the the convention stuff. There's a lot of really cool things that you don't, aren't going to see online or whatever else. A lot of new releases. So, budget for that, too. Not just the stuff that you uh, know you're going to pick up and want to pick up, but be aware there's probably something that's going to be cool. Yeah, for me, I think my Could even be a fez. Could even be a fez. Uh, for me, I sure. think my strategy for these things would be, yeah, the uh, the actual event exclusive stuff would be for sure on the list, followed by probably prioritizing some of the, like, you know, small-time manufacturers yep. that you've never heard of. They might not have a proper web store. They might have been, like, a Kickstarter or something like that. Stuff that you won't be able to get easily otherwise. Yeah. And just being able to, like, shove it in your luggage on the way back is great. But, I mean, if it's, like, 10% off whatever, like a battle force or something, I'm not going to lug it around to save 10 or 15 bucks. Like, I think a lot of that, like run of the mill stuff, um, unless you're getting a crazy deal on it, it's probably not worth the hassle. Yeah. And you're also probably not getting a crazy deal at a convention, especially because like from the Alberta perspective, we have 5% GST and no provincial sales tax where a lot of other places, you're going to have the local sales tax. Like if it's in, if you're going to games day in, Ontario or whatever, you might have been paying like what? What would it have been like fourteen percent tax yes. or some bullshit like that? Yeah, because I think it's seven and seven. So like, depending on like that's one thing to keep in mind too. If you're doing convention purchases, is if the place has a significant sales tax, there go most of your discounts or currency conversion too. That's the other thing. That do thing. do the math when you are in the states. When it, someone says it's a hundred bucks, make sure you're tacking on thirty percent right now. Yeah, that, yeah. If you've been drinking and not thinking straight, that could really hurt. Yeah, because oh, you got ten percent off. Still more expensive than home. So be aware of that. Yeah, and then you're carrying around something just because you wanted it. Then uh, I always just buy the cool stuff that I really like. The cool stuff you really like, anything you think is going to be hard to get later, is a great way to approach it. Because it's yeah. and and for me, I find a lot of the times like a lock and load. It would be that okay. I know that I've been thinking about buying these five or six random models. I never really see them in stock in a store. I'm just going to do it now so I've got them for later. Yeah, right? for sure. Impulse buy. Um, impulse for buy sure. a few things, but I'm not impulse buying large boxes. It'd be like a couple blisters where the yeah. convenience of getting, of like spending that $80 to get a handful of blisters that I've been kind of thinking about getting for a while to round up my army, just all in one shot. And you can fit in your luggage. And you can That's fit in your luggage. That's a big deal. And that is probably one of the single biggest lessons that I learned is make sure you take down sufficient luggage. <laughs> so, because when you have to do the thing where on the flight back you're just wearing half of the clothes that you brought down to see you have more room in your bag, that gets uncomfortable. Yeah, I had to definitely break down some boxes of Dark Age stuff I bought and consolidate them into one. Well, it wasn't at a convention <laughs> per se, but like that actually happened to me over Christmas where we did the whole like, oh, we won't do, like, we'll just like give each other like a $20 like stocking stuff or gift sort of a thing. So I didn't leave any room. Like, I brought like my backpack. Oh, good. And so, of course, family being family and mothers being mothers and stuff, I got, like, a ton of little random things, and it was like, shit, I'm wearing, like, 18 layers of clothes when I fly back to Edmonton because I have literally nowhere to put any of this stuff. Well, they didn't give you a suitcase for Christmas? That would have been handy. Your parents are terrible. And, <laughs> and I think for me, one of the ways to approach Oh, I had to bring back some presents for grandma and stuff, too, which I did not think of. Oh, a Sherpa. <laughs> sent a Sherpa. Gotcha. Is like, my, my carry-on are my models... Who gives a shit how large my checked luggage is? Really? 
Yeah. Like, I don't have to bring the smallest possible checked luggage. I can bring one of my bigger ones. It's on wheels anyways. It doesn't really matter. I don't check luggage when I go down to Vegas because you can get out of the airport real fast because I'm, I'm lazy like that. I don't like waiting for my bag. Yeah, I always try to get on, get away with carry-on if I can help it. Which all, But it is a trade-off. you got to be aware that you're not going to buy as much. And that also could be part of your strategy, frankly. Yeah. Limiting your volume. <laughs> Modeling by volume is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> or a good thing, depending on how you look at it. So Yeah, I think that's like forcing yourself to have that restraint because it's like you literally won't be able to get it home. Yeah. yeah, and I've got the problem for myself where I'm a large enough human that my clothes alone need a bit of a bigger bag than just like a backpack. <laughs> okay, fair so enough. So once my gaming bag is involved in luggage, fair enough. I don't have anything that I can put real clothes in. Mm-hmm. That's right? fair. That's fair. So, yeah, sure. so then I'm going to be checking something, so I may as well check something a little bit bigger just so I've got it if I need. That's totally fair. But plan ahead, I think, is the punchline. Yeah, realistically, it's whatever your strategy is, just the main thing is going in with a plan and not just going in with, like, high-limit credit card and hoping for the best, because that's going to end poorly, son. Yeah, yeah. do not do that. Well, or do that. Your friends are going to think you're pretty cool if you have a lot of game (laughs) with friends. Yeah, do that if you have, like, a pragmatic means of paying it off within a year. Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of things I would have bought. If I had more money, there's a lot of things I would have bought. Yeah. They had a Warlord Titan there. Those are only a couple thousand dollars. I really, really wanted it. The box, the box alone is bragging rights. (laughs) You're just straight up bragging rights. Yeah. It could fit a child's car seat is how big that box is. It's huge. Like, it's ridiculous. It's awesome. So you would have been, like, buying extra luggage just for Titans. Oh, yeah, this entire suitcase could have fit that yeah. box. And, it's, <laughs> and they, they showed me what's in there. It's packed. Like, it's ridiculous. Doesn't it weigh, like, 15 pounds or oh, something yeah, like that? Yeah, solid resin. Yeah, that's... I want it so bananas. bad. Bananas. Uh, they also had a manta there, too, which hmm. is just a dinner plate. Isn't it larger than a dinner plate? It's like 36-inch wingspan, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it's like, no, it's not a dinner plate. It's like a serving tray. This would be better. Like, it's just... Like a large <laughs> serving tray. Yeah. yeah. Like a very large like serving tray. Like a caterer's tray. serving tray. I think they bring those things to the cons just to show people. Just because, like, like, seriously, somebody needs to buy these. Somebody we've will have made a high two. credit card limit. Somebody yeah. will have been drinking. It's Vegas. Yeah, somebody won something on the slots. Bam. <laughs> now you got a Manta, son. Man, Tony, that is... Tony Cottrell will just make some joke about, hey, you need a hang glider? Here you go. Exactly. If you ever need to go hang gliding, it helps to have a uh, Tau Manta in your collection. <laughs> Yes, let's go with that. <laughs> just, also, just jump off the nearest hill. Just as a side note, we don't don't condone this. <laughs> don't do this. No, no, please do not. Hobbit in Canada does not condone hang gliding with resin. Not unless you pin the shit out of that manta. I don't think you need to. I think it's one piece. <laughs> I think it's one fucking piece. Okay, so upcoming events. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Yeah, no problem. We've got Colder Than Carbonite on February 17th to 18th. Wellington Park Hall, 300 points, 30 players, Beerfinity on the Friday. Um, Bitter North Gaming Bit Swap, I believe, is running in congruence to that. Yes. That's not the best way to actually say that, but it's happening at the same time. It's 20 bucks for full table, $10 for a half at the Colder Than Carbonate event. Uh, February 25th, the Underground Comics is the 100-point Battle for Endor, which once again listed as a wicked first place trophy. Yes, sweet X-Wing tournament. Going to have that big, ridiculous uh, X-Wing model. On like a marble slab or something? Yeah, I think it's kind of like done up to actually look like, you know, like 
I don't know if that was just the way the concrete was or if it was going to be painted, but it looked like snow base kind of a thing. Okay, cool. Neat. Uh, February 25th is the Golden Grot at Kingsway, 10 a.m., five painting categories. Uh, I imagine there's going to be more information posted on either their Facebook page or in store. March 18th, The Tale of Link, Jade Fist the Simple. Um, at the what? Ger- narrative tournament. Awesome. Uh, narrative tournament, yep. Uh, run out of the German Club of Edmonton. It's 1,000 points, Age of Sigmar. $30 a person, 60 a team narrative event. Um, I believe also on the same day is the Brawler for March, which it sounds like we're actually going to be running a Story Encounter Malifaux event at. Oh, neat. Which will be themed around St. Patrick's Day. So well, that'll be fun. Yeah, so we're going to be doing a, a bunch of custom scenarios for it, and I've got Lucas and his 3D printer as a minion to help make markers and tokens for it. Sweet. So it should actually be a lot of fun, and that will be 50 Soul Stones. March 25th, the 40K Highlander Tournament in Fort Garry Legion, Winnipeg. There can be only one. Wow. I assume. Are you going to that, Steve? No. I would like to, but no. There's some good guys out there. They run, uh, actually, the Winnipeg uh, Manitoba scene, I guess. Uh, they did a major this year, so they've actually got uh, a lot oh, of sweet. people playing. Yep. And they, they used to run Astronomicon, I believe. Oh, is it the same people? I'm get well. How many gaming clubs are there out in Winnipeg? Uh, apparently, surprisingly numerous. Huh. Uh, I don't actually know, but uh, if it is the Astronomicon guys, which we will find out for next podcast because we're diligent like that, uh, Astronomicon is considered to be one of the better ones in Canada. Fair enough. Sweet. Is it still running? I don't know. I don't think. Anyways, no. uh, April twenty eighth to thirtieth, Grotzcon, Western Grounds, Red Deer, Warmer Hordes, Forty K, Guild Ball, and Infinity. <laughs> Um, and then Wednesday, Thursday nights, Red Claw Beginner AOS uh, runs until March 18th. Slow, glo- slow grow weekly games. Call store for the current point level. And I just want to say, I was at Red Claw for the first time on like a during gaming hours for that Malifaux mm-hmm. event. That place is packed. Oh yeah, like yeah. it was front to back, completely full of gamers. Oh sweet, it was unreal. Want to say, uh, Leanne actually and and Dave are doing a fantastic job. They're really actually working to grow the community and uh, like foster a gaming space that uh, that people actually want to game in, which is awesome. And they had great mats, great great terrain. Like, well, if you know Leanne and Dave, they like gaming. They are gamers first. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good no matter what. Yeah, it was great. So. Uh, I can't recommend enough going there for a gaming event other than get there early <laughs> to make sure you can play. <laughs> that's actually a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's like, right. Like, the earlier you can get there, the better. They do have pretty crazy hours on the weekends, so you got lots of time. I think they're open pretty late. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that is it for events. Nice. There's a lot coming up. Yeah. I really want to play in that Infinity one, but I will not be in the country, which actually kind of makes me a little sad. I, no, it doesn't. I'm gonna be in, have some sort of telepresence device. And It'll be fine. I'll be in California. I'll be okay. You'll you be the fine. tennis tournament again. No. Okay. But I will be there for tennis in the sun. God damn it. Yeah. Not jealous at all. Not jealous at all. Until next time. <laughs> this has been another episode of Hobby Night in Canada. Oh, don't go full Santa Panda. I'm your host, Tom. <laughs> okay, you are. <laughs> I'm Dan. And I'm Steve. And until next time, paint your fucking models and have some fun and try to spend within your own budget at conventions. Or don't be awesome. <laughs>